It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition, we're going to be discussing the protests outside the Emirates ahead of Arsenal's Premier League clash with Everton. We'll be discussing the game itself. We'll be discussing Burn Leno and everything else that came off the back of that. A little bit about VAR as well. And of course, I'll be taking your questions in the second half of the show on anything you want basically and we've had a few come through on twitter this morning so i'll be heading to those and of course i'll be taking some in the live chat uh big good morning to those of you who are joining us live and a big hello to anybody who's watching this back a little bit later on or of course listening to us on the audio platform hope you're all well it's a nice sunny saturday here in london i've got the doors open i've got i can hear the birds singing the sun is shining um a little bit colder than i thought hence why i've had to throw this uh, this quick hoodie on top <laughs> at the last minute. But um, I guess the fact that there is sunshine, the fact that I can hear the birds singing, the fact that I am um, looking out at some brilliant weather is obviously helping me uh, to process what happened last night and helping me to feel a little bit better about the football side of things. We're going to park the football just for a minute because I think it would be completely wrong of me to not start off with the protests um, and the protests, you know, we've seen Arsenal fans try to stage protests in the past and maybe the turnout hasn't been as expected. But what I will say is nobody can deny that there was a fantastic turnout at the Emirates Stadium yesterday. I've seen some uh, news reports. Perhaps they were a little bit premature in terms of the time that they looked at what was going on at the Emirates, but where they've reported there were hundreds, no. There were not hundreds, there were thousands, thousands upon thousands of Arsenal fans gathered outside the Emirates Stadium to make their feelings towards KSE known. Um, I want to, first of all, say how proud I am of the Arsenal fan base, the fact that people came out in their numbers, um, you know, to be there for a cause that is obviously so important to all of us. You know, we feel as though the soul of our club has been ripped out. We feel as though the Cronkies, having ripped it out, then tried to sell it. Uh, unfortunately, those plans came crashing down. I think what you've seen is the power of football fans. I think what you've seen in, in our case is the power of the Arsenal fans. And it was great to see so many people turning out, being vocal, but also for the most part. And of course, there's always a couple of idiots in and amongst that. But for the most part, everybody was impeccably behaved, I thought, they were chanting, they were singing, they were holding up banners, um, and it was it was brilliant to see. I'm also proud of the fans that supported it from afar as well, because I know that lots of our fans are based overseas, um, and I know that lots of our fans have work commitments, families, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I know from sort of scrolling through Twitter and the various other social media platforms how many people wanted to be there and unfortunately couldn't. So. Um, they deserve as much praise as everybody else, right? Because they supported it from afar. They've made made their feelings clear on social media, um, and they've done they've done their bit as far as I'm concerned. It's great to see so many people there and able to get down there, but you shouldn't dismiss uh, the impact and and the message that is coming from those fans who couldn't be there as well. Because we're all on the same side. We're all fighting for the same cause, and it's great to see the Arsenal fan base united. Um, you know, there were still some idiots outside the ground yesterday who felt the need to to have a go at certain people um, for no reason whatsoever. And, and so there is still uh, the odd moron, <laughs> but, you know, what football club doesn't have them. But for the most part, as I say, everybody was brilliant. Everybody was fantastic. I took some footage um, from the protests outside the Emirates Stadium, and I'll be posting another video a little bit later on today. Uh, with all of that, because 
it is on my camera. Uh, I wanted to cut some of it up and put it into a short uh, little two, three minute video for those of you who didn't uh, attend yesterday so that you can get a bit of a vibe and a bit of an understanding of um, of of how it was and how it went down. Um, and yeah, so I'll be dropping that a little bit later on. Uh, big hello to the bearded gooner as well. Um, hope you're well, mate. He says, morning, mate. Yeah, I've seen American flags being burned. Not cool. Alas, always idiots. Yeah. And I just want to say I'm completely against that because, you know, first of all, it's bloody disrespectful. Um, whatever country's flag it is, it's not on. Um, and also, I want to highlight the point that for the sensible ones, for the majority of us, for those who, uh, you know, <laughs> have half a brain cell, it's nothing to do with the Cronkies being American. That is that is completely irrelevant. They could be from wherever. Um, it, it's really not the point here. The point here is that we don't like the way they're running the club and it doesn't matter what their nationality is. Therefore, their nationality should not be uh, made an issue of, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, as the bearded gooner says, there were some idiots burning American flags outside the ground. There's a picture of that doing the rounds on social media. I've got to be honest, I didn't spot that. Um, so, you know, I'm pretty sure that uh, it was just that particular idiot uh, rather than it being sort of a, a widespread thing. So I don't want anybody to sort of feel that you know, that was um, that was a, a big group of people. It really wasn't. It was one bloody idiot. And, and he's, the picture's gone around on social media. So, yeah, as I said, really proud of the turnout, really proud of most people's behavior, really proud of the fact that so much effort went in uh, into the protest from fans who, who made banners. And you could see so many of them were sort of handmade and you know, people would really put their heart and soul into it. And um, it was great to see. It was great to see. And, and it was great to be back at the Emirates and, and hear the, the noise of a crowd. Uh, it was great to be back at the Emirates and uh, and see some familiar faces. Um, and it was great to be back at the Emirates to meet a load of you. I met a load of you yesterday um, that I hadn't met before. So it, it was fantastic uh, to meet you guys. And honestly, it was it was truly humbling to to re to understand how many of you watch and support the channel so thank you all so much and uh to those of you who came and said hello thank you as well uh really really appreciate it because as i always say i only ever see your screen names and your little icons so it's difficult for me to identify people that way but um yeah great to see lots of you down there let's talk a little bit about the football because um I know the protest sort of took centre stage and I know the build-up to the game was was around the protest and it was all about that. But for me, there's plenty to unpack from the actual football itself as well. And we know that Mikel Arteta got the players into the stadium early yesterday to avoid uh, them trying to arrive during the protest. It's not clear um, sort of how many of them could see what was going on. We know that they're all on social media, as Mikel Arteta said. So I'm sure they got a very strong understanding of kind of the, the mood and, and what was occurring outside the stadium. Did it distract? Did it cause the team problems? I think that's a cop-out. Uh, I, I really do. If, if people are sitting there claiming that the Arsenal team were affected, were impacted negatively by, uh, by what was going on outside the football ground, I think that's embarrassing. And I'm not accepting that as an excuse. I think, you know, the players involved at these football clubs, at these six Premier League football clubs who decided to take this decision, uh, you know, earlier in the or the back end of last week and then backtracked from it. Are not are, are not to be blamed, you know, you know, the players had nothing to do with it. The players didn't know anything about it. And I think if you're a football player, you should be intelligent enough to understand that the protest is not against you and that the protest is against an idea and that the protest is against, um, you know, and that the protest is against the powers that be, the people that were behind uh, coming up with this Super League concept. So I think to say that the players were impacted negatively by the protest, I think is insulting their intelligence. If you're going to tell me that the players have been impacted by what's gone on overall throughout the week, then that I, I have a bit more sympathy for. But Mikel Arteta named, named his side. 
Um, it was Leno in goal. Um, it was Chambers. It was Holding. It was Mari. It was Xhaka, Partey, Ceballos, Smith Rowe, Pepe, Saka, and Nketiah. Was that side good enough uh, to perform better than it did? Yeah, probably. Um, I, I really, I, I get baffled by the, this thing about Eddie and Ketia. I mean, and this is not to dig out Eddie and Ketia, but just why it's in my head. And we'll, we'll talk about some other players as well. So please don't take this as though I'm literally digging out Eddie and Ketia for what happened yesterday. But I don't really understand what's going on with Eddie and Ketia. He gets almost shoved aside for the best part of three, four months. Doesn't get a look in. In the meantime, Arsenal have, from what we're led to believe, agreed the new contract with following Balogun. Mikel Arteta has been full of praise for Gabriel Martinelli. I just find it strange that Enketia starts when he clearly isn't part of the plans right now. Is it because the Balogun deal isn't official yet, that he doesn't get a chance? What's the reason for Martinelli not getting a run through the middle? And I accept that and I appreciate that we've got a massive game coming up on Thursday. Could Martinelli be in line to play at centre forward for that? I don't know. Uh, so I'll give Mikel the benefit of the doubt for now on that. Um, my issue yesterday was not really with the team selection. I think when you look at what was available, uh, you know, barring Gabriel Martinelli, I think he probably should have um, he should have played. But barring that, there wasn't much that I would have done differently. So the team selection wasn't really the issue for me, but the the application and the level of performance is just not good enough. And we, you know, Mikel Arteta comes out in front of the press and he says, you know, we, we didn't deserve to lose that game. Maybe. But did we deserve to win it? I would argue not really, because you can talk about statistics and statistics are often used to, to make judgments. 59% of the possession Arsenal had, 14 shots on target in comparison to Everton's eight. But Arsenal, of those 14 shots, only managed three on target, which is just simply not good enough. The conversion rate is not good enough. We're not creating clear-cut opportunities that give us the chance to hit the target. And, and that's the big, big problem. And it's been a problem with this Arsenal team throughout the campaign. A lack of creativity, a lack of penetration has been a major, major issue for Arsenal. And you... We brought Odegaard in on loan and, and for a while, you know, you thought that that was heading in the right direction. Emil Smith-Rowe, I didn't think, had a particularly good game yesterday. But, you know, it's um, the, the creativity thing has been a problem throughout the campaign. Now, I know yesterday we were without Lacazette, we were without Aubameyang and, and therefore we were down to our third choice, if you like, uh, centre forward. And, and obviously that has an impact, but... Should it be that big of an impact? Should it, you know, if you're you're not, if you're without the centre forward of your first choice, shouldn't that mean that perhaps you can look at the finishing? Perhaps you can look at them maybe not getting in the final positions. But even the build-up play before that, it wasn't right. It was missing something. It was missing a spark. Um, as, as Tony says in the chat, and I completely agree with this, we move the ball too slowly at times and we allow teams to, you know, once we do switch the play, for example, or once we do win the ball back, we allow them to to reset and get back into position because we simply take too long. Um, we're not incisive enough. We're not quick enough in our movement of the ball. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a really common problem under Mikel Arteta and there's no getting away from that. And we'll talk about the VAR decision in a minute because I know Mikel went big on that in his post-match interview and he went big on that in the press conference. But is that an excuse? I mean, I'm not sure that it is. Uh, because, uh, again, as I say, lots of the ball, but nothing really comes of it. You know, there were some players that in certain periods of the game looked okay. You know, I thought Ceballos at times looked, looked pretty sharp and looked pretty good. But we know with Danny Ceballos that that doesn't happen often enough and he does blow hot and cold. I thought that Nicola Pepe was probably our biggest threat, yet he took him off. And again, that might have been with Thursday in mind. But 
the, the point I'm trying to get to, and I've gone around the houses a little bit, is that I'm, I wasn't surprised when Everton nicked it. Should they have nicked it? Absolutely not. Le Burn Leno uh, was, what he did was, was quite frankly, <laughs> a, a disgrace. And, you know, Burn Leno has made countless mistakes this season. And, you know, there's been that debate that has rumbled on throughout the course of this campaign. Did Arsenal sell the right goalkeeper? Did they, you know, hold on uh, to the wrong man, etc., etc.? I get all of that. Um, but it's done now. And even if you believe that Arsenal sold the wrong goalkeeper, you do not expect a goalkeeper at Premier League level, whoever it is, to make the kind of mistake uh, that Bern Leno made yesterday. You know, a lot of people have dug out Granit Xhaka for, for getting done initially by Richarlison. And yeah, you know, I think when you look at it again, I think Granit Xhaka's mistake is he starts off trying to hold him up, hold him up, hold him up. And then he just sort of lunges in. And Richarlison is that sharp. He's that quick. He's that skillful that he will just skip past you. So Granit Xhaka, you know, is culpable as well. I'm not defending Granit Xhaka because... I thought he could have done better. There's no getting away from that. I just feel, though, this is this all stems from the fact that we don't have a natural left-back available to us right now. And that, again, goes back to Mikel Arteta. You've allowed uh, Seja Kolasinac to leave the club on loan. Whatever you think about him, he is a left-back. You've allowed Ainsley Maitland-Niles a, a better option at left-back or someone at least who's played there more times to go. Um, so when you look at it and you, you, you sit there and you go, well, you know, yes, Granit Xhaka was at fault. A lot of that is down to the fact that we don't have a left back. He is not a left back. And when you circle around and remember that we have had two players who were arguably better equipped to play at left back that are not even at the club. You have to start to ask questions. You look at the substitutes bench yesterday as well. And, and you know. You look at uh, who was available to us and, and you see Cedric Suarez again. And I'm not saying that uh, the Cedric thing has particularly worked at left back. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's, there are so many, you know, it, the, the Xhaka thing was an experiment. And it's an experiment that works in a game against sides where you're going to dominate the ball. When you can kind of shift it into that back three when you're in possession and you can allow the fullbacks to bomb on. But Carlo Ancelotti is is very smart, is very wise. And actually, what I thought was particularly interesting was that Richarlison um, tends to normally operate from the left-hand side in that Everton team. But on this occasion, he was quite often on the right-hand side for the Blues. And when I say the right-hand side, I mean Arsenal's left. And it's clearly something, when you look back on it in hindsight, and and something that you probably should have we should have probably picked up during the game. Carlo Ancelotti was well aware of the weakness of Granite Xhaka at left back, was well aware of his immobility and the fact that Richarlison would have an absolute field day if he came uh, up against him. And so that's experience. That is a wily old manager who's been around the block on multiple occasions and has set up his team in a very organised fashion. And we've seen Carlo do that very often with this Everton side, particularly against the big sides, um, and do it to good effect. They're very organised and they knew that they had what it took on the break or on the or if any odd opportunity came along to be able to take that chance. So, you know, that 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 was naive of Arsenal. Um, in my opinion. No, no, actually, let me rephrase that. It wasn't naive to pick Xhaka at left back because he's done that already. It was naive to not to leave us without a a proper fullback. Um, and it was always gonna always gonna uh, bite us in the arse. But having said all of that, Bern Leno cannot cannot let that squirm through his legs and into the back of the net. It's just completely unacceptable. And you know, people are starting to lose patience with Bern Leno, and I understand why, you know. Yes, Bernardo has the ability to pull off a wonderful save and earn you points. But equally, Bernardo has that in his locker. He, he He's never too far away from a complete and utter howler, from a mistake. And those mistakes at this level will be punished, particularly by sides uh, as, as competent as Everton. And um, 
me personally, I think he's got to be dropped now. I, I really do. And, you know, it, it would be a brave decision from Mikel because if Matt Ryan came in and made a mistake in, in Spain on Thursday, then there'd be discussions about that. But I, I genuinely, I think it sends the wrong vibe if you allow someone who's made so many mistakes and one as bad as that one yesterday to continue. Having said that, all footballers make mistakes. So if this was just a one-off, if this was the only moment in my mind that I've looked at Berlino and gone, you know, you should have done better there. If this was the second time this season, even the third time this season, I'd have looked at Berlino and gone, you should have done better there. I'd probably give him the benefit of the doubt. But, um, you know, I, I think there's there's been too many of those this season. Do I think that Mikel will do it? Do I think that Mikel will drop him for the game against Villarreal? Absolutely not. He's the number one and Mikel has made that clear. Bern Leno uh, knows that as well. And I expect him to be named in the starting 11 on Thursday. But do I think that's right? Not really when you consider how ruthless Mikel has been with other players. And, and, and that's kind of one of the issues, isn't it? I talked about it a couple of weeks ago on a video. I talked about the... Um, the man management of Mikel Arteta. And I felt that that was probably one area in which he, um, in which he could have, uh, he could have done better man management. It's been a problem. You know, let's talk a little bit about the VAR thing, uh, because I know obviously that was a, a big, big issue. And I want to know your thoughts on that. Is VAR killing the game of football? Let me know in the comments, but because uh, while you do that, I just want to remind you, that this show is uh, is currently being supported by Le Bomb, the new football predictor app. The link to download it is in the description. Check it out and go head to head with your mates this weekend. It's the game you bet against your friends rather than the bookmakers. And once again, this weekend, I'm playing with Rory Jennings, Elliot Hackney, Adam McCola and Boovy. I've won two weeks in a row and collected the cash prize. Fingers crossed I can make it three on the trot this weekend. You must be a UK resident and you must be 18 to play. But check out the link in the description. Uh, I'll drop it in there and uh, you can head over, download the app, sign up, share it with your mates. It's great fun. The table updates throughout the game. It is brilliant. So make sure uh, you do check it out. I'm sure you will enjoy it. Um, there's no question in my mind. You will definitely enjoy it for sure. It's brilliant. Um Let's uh, let's uh, continue to talk about uh, about what happened yesterday and and what happened in the game against Everton and the big talking point and the point that Mikel Arteta has gone absolutely huge on um, is the the VAR decision. Now Arsenal were awarded a penalty in um, in the second half. Danny Sabayos was seemingly fouled. And the referee awarded the penalty. The VAR even uh, awarded the penalty. But they penalised us because um, because Nicola Pepe was adjudged to have been offside. Now, going back to the original incident, the penalty, the, the foul on Ceballos. Was it a foul? I think if you're nitpicking, and, and, and unfortunately this is, what has happened with VAR a little bit is that we've kind of gone to the point where we're going, well, if there's any contact whatsoever, it's a penalty. And I don't like that. I, I feel like a referee has to apply some common sense here. Is there contact with, with Danny Sabaos? Yeah, there is. Um, but it's minimal. And is it enough to, to throw him down on the ground? I would argue no. But what I would say is that we were given or Fulham were given a penalty against us uh, last weekend, which was pretty much the same. Again, minimal contact, not enough really for the player to go down. Yet the player goes down, hits the deck and gets awarded a spot kick. So really and truly, really and truly, you know, we should have had the penalty based on the fact that one was given last week. But the bigger picture here is, do we want to see penalties in football given for that? And I would say no. So I don't really have a major, major issue with with the outcome. And, and it's why I've not gone big on it at the start of the podcast. It's not the first thing uh, I've picked out on. Am I frustrated 
by the fact that so many of these VAR calls have gone against us this season. Absolutely. And and do I feel that we've we've been badly treated? Yeah, absolutely do. Again, I'm I'm not saying that it definitely wasn't a penalty on Sabios, but I complained about the one against Fulham last week, so I'd be a bit of an idiot if I complained about this one. I'd be a hypocrite, wouldn't I? If I complained about about the one that was given against us last weekend and then went massive on the fact that this one should have been a spot kick. I think the contact is minimal. I really do. But I understand why people are upset because of the lack of consistency in the way that the get the rules and the laws, if you like, are being applied. The offside thing, though, is what really bugs me here. It's what really bugs me. You know, we were watching the game live and we saw them, you know, drawing those lines, which, I mean, come on, we're, we're talking about the Premier League here, right? One of the biggest sporting competitions on the planet, the richest league in world football. And we're relying on these lines that are being drawn, quite frankly, pathetically, often in the wrong places, um, it's mad. I, I I just don't get it. You know, the lines that were drawn yesterday, even when the lines were drawn, how could you possibly tell if Nicolas Pepe was actually onside there? You can't. And and I've always been one of these people, right, that says it's onside or offside. There's no grey area. This should be easy for VAR to, to work. But there's got to be a smarter way of doing this. There's got to be a better way of doing this. And I think what we've probably seen now is we've seen ourselves arrive at a point where the law around offside needs to be tweaked in order for it to fit with VAR. Because, yes, it's on or off, but when you're drawing lines the way they're drawing them at the moment and you look at the thickness of the line, which obviously plays a part in this as well, as, as stupid as it sounds, how can you be so sure? and so? My suggestion would be that we look at a way of rewording the offside law so that there has to be, you know, so it's judged by the feet, maybe, um, you know, because right now we're looking at shoulders, we're looking at heads, we're looking at elbows. It's, it's just a mess. It's an absolute mess. So I think that, you know, we, we've got a little bit OTT on it right now the lines are are not really accurate enough in my opinion and um I, i'm not against var as a concept because i think var is necessary i think we we highlight a lot of the bad decisions of course but there have been a lot that it's got right and a lot that it's corrected from being wrong to right so var for me i still believe is is good for the game I just think that what we've we've encountered now is is a point where the laws that we applied previously are not quite uh, not quite fit for the system that we currently have in place. So I think there needs to be a review, and things need to be uh, tweaked or reworded or whatever uh, in a way that gives the referee a little bit more um, a little bit more of the ability to uh, to apply common sense. And uh, that's what I'd like to see. But Mikel Arteta went massive on it. And I thought that was a little bit disappointing. Mikel Arteta seems to be under this illusion at the moment that just because you have lots of the ball, it means that you 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 fully deserve to win the game. And it's driving me a little bit mad because teams like Everton, teams under Jose Mourinho, another prime example, their game plan is to give up possession in the areas where it doesn't really matter. So you can have... 58, 59, 60% possession. But if the majority of that is across your back four or in the deeper midfield areas, then it's, it's you know, that's where Everton want you. That's where your opponent wants you. So can I, hand on my heart, look at Mikel Arteta yesterday after the game and say, you know, I completely agree with you. I think he went OTT on the VAR decision. I think that the VAR frustration is built off of a number of calls. And, and so that I get. But the reality is Arsenal weren't good enough to win the game and and I've seen people say Arsenal were denied three points no you know it's Arsenal didn't do enough in my opinion to win that game of football and it's been the case time and time again this season we've lost far too many games in the Premier League 
We've lost 13 games in the Premier League. That's just not acceptable. You know, we now find ourselves six points off of Everton in eighth. And they've got um, a game in hand over us, as have Liverpool, as of West Ham, as of Chelsea, as of Leicester, uh, as of Manchester United at the time of recording. So, yeah, it's, um, it, it's frustrating. You know, yes, there have been some decisions that have gone against us, but can we keep pointing to that? You know, and, I, and I've... I've I've been guilty of that earlier on in the season. You know, I've 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 said trust what we're doing, trust the work that we're doing. Though the performances um, are getting better, but then we hit these lulls and these periods where it just all dissipates again, and then we start looking at the VAR again, and we start looking at the referees again. And for me, you know, yes, it's an issue, but is it the main issue? And shouldn't we be focusing on the issues that are in our hands and in our control? And and our performances certainly are in our control. And right now, they're not good enough. Big hello to everybody who is watching us live at the moment. Hope you are all well. Uh, another There's another link in the description to Earth Echo Foods. Make sure you check out Earth Echo Foods and in particular, uh, their brand new superfood product, Cacao Bliss. It's brought to you by Danette and Mindful Health LLC. So check it out. And if you enter the discount code detailed in the description, you will get 15% off of your order. That is for our US-based listeners uh, in particular. Uh, but you can order it to the UK as well. But do check that out. So a big thank you uh, to uh, Earth Echo Foods as well for their kind sponsorship of the podcast. Let's check in on how many likes we've got in the chat box. Let's have a look. Um, and, and start filling the chat box up with questions as well, by the way. I'm going to pick up a few from Twitter and then I'm going to come over to the chat box. But there are over 200 of you watching us right now live across the multiple platforms, but we've only got 59 likes. Let's get that at least up to 100 as quick as possible. Right, let's go over to Twitter first, uh, because I normally, and, and I don't mean to do this, but I do it quite often. I forget, don't I, uh, to go over to the um, to the Twitter question. So I want to get there uh, first to make sure that I don't forget, of course. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Here we go. Uh, so let's start with uh, this one. Swedish Gunnar uh, says, is it time to part ways with Leno? He is not good enough. I think if we want to go on to the next level, we need a better goalkeeper. Yeah, um, I really do. Uh, you know, I've talked about his ability to win us games and, and there's no getting away from that. Berlino does have that capability, but the mistakes are outweighing that at the moment and, and the mistakes are, are costing us points, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that, you know, if we want to go on to the next level, then I think we do need to... Um, we do need to look at the goalkeeper situation. Uh, in the clock end says, we've witnessed performances in games such as last night, time and time again this season. It's painfully predictable. I see little to no improvement at the moment. Who's at fault, players or the manager? I think it's both, mate. Um, you know, I think that Mikel Arteta has a difficult job um, at Arsenal. I think there is so much wrong and so much that needs fixing that it's it's hard for me to you know to really lay the boot in on on him but ultimately you know we're not performing and he's the manager and he's responsible for that but equally I'm not sure that tactically we're that far off I think it's the application um you know I think in games we've overcomplicated things tactically at times under Mikel Arteta but I don't think that was the case last night I just think we weren't able to to break them down, we didn't have the spark, we didn't have the creativity, and obviously that is a that is a major major problem for us. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, Rapid Jabby says, "Do you think these protests will impact the players in a negative way, so they lose confidence?" Um, I, I've already touched on this one uh, sort of earlier in the show. Um, you know, do I think that? Do I think that? The protests had a negative impact on the performance yesterday. No, um, well, I don't think they should anyway. Uh, do I think that what's gone on in the last week, though, as a whole might have? Yeah, possibly. 
Um, and I think the, the clubs that were involved in this potential breakaway league obviously have come out of this looking a lot worse and probably been, or have, there's no doubt about it, been much more impacted than those who were outside of the proposal. Uh, Ghost says, if Arteta carries on like this and doesn't win the Europa League, surely he must be sacked. Personally, I wouldn't sack him uh, because I still think it will be a little bit too early. I still feel like, you know, this is his first full season. And on top of that fact, he's had to deal with a lot of crap. And, and you know, this this Super League thing is is another thing in the long l- list of stuff that Mikel Arteta has, has had to deal with outside of the actual game of football itself. So um, I personally wouldn't sack him. Uh, I would give him the first few months of next season and see how it goes. But if he was sacked equally, I wouldn't be up in arms about it because there's no getting away from the fact that this campaign so far in the Premier League in particular has just been so unacceptable. Big thank you to those of you on Twitter for your questions. Right, let's pick out uh, some from the live chat. And apologies if I've missed some of those on Twitter as well. Uh, Just uh, wanted to get through uh, as many people as I can. Uh, big hello to Alcarp in the chat, who says, what did you think about Ray's comments on TalkSport yesterday? Of course, referring to Ray Parler digging out Robbie Lyle um, of AFTV about his channel, saying that he wants Arsenal to, or suggesting that Robbie wants Arsenal to lose. Listen, I've met Robbie on a number of occasions. Um, I've done some work with Robbie in the past. Whatever you think about AFTV, Robbie doesn't want Arsenal to lose football matches. Like that's that's just a, it's just one of those things that that people sort of build up. Does he get more views when people are outraged? Maybe. Um, did he get more views this week with the whole Super League thing? Yeah, but so did I, and so did Talksport, and so did Sky Sports, and so did. Every media outlet, whether it be an online media outlet or a more traditional media outlet, uh, would have seen increased traffic because it was such a big story. I think it's a little bit poor from Ray Parler, if I'm honest, because Ray Parler's been on AFTV on a number of occasions, right? So you're being a little bit hypocritical, Ray, because if you disapprove of the channel so much, and that's that's absolutely fine if you do, you know, it's your right to to have that opinion. You know, I haven't always been AFTV's biggest fan at times. But equally, if you go on there on multiple occasions, then you're kind of being a bit of a hypocrite. And and also, the worst part about this for me is that Robbie was not invited on to talk about his channel. You know, he had that discussion with Simon Jordan. We all saw how big that went and the debate and all of that. And some people sided with Robbie and others sided with Simon Jordan. And that was one thing, one debate. This was to talk about KSE. This was to talk about the Cronkies. And he was almost sort of blindsided, wasn't he, by this kind of attack from Ray Parler. So, you know, is Ray Parler completely wrong? Maybe not. But I just thought it was done in poor taste. And at a time where, as Arsenal fans, we were looking for unity to protest against what we all believe is the biggest problem at our football club right now, it just felt like, you know, a divide and a a sort of, you know, a, a disconnect between an Arsenal legend and one of the most prominent Arsenal sort of media outlets that just didn't need to be there. And, and listen, and, you know, when we were talking with the sort of, uh, when we were talking about the We Care Do You thing, what, when was that a year, two years ago? Now I can't even remember. Um, you know, there were a lot of people that were sort of watching that campaign unfold and were anti AFTV and didn't want AFT to be involved, AFTV to be involved in it. And whether you like AFTV or not, though, there's no denying that they have a massive, huge, gigantic platform. And so if you're trying to get eyes on an issue and you're trying to get a message out, as long as it's done properly by them, then I don't really see the issue in them portraying it to their wider audience. But yeah, I just I just thought it was done in poor taste by Ray Parler, if I'm honest. Sometimes your heroes disappoint you, is what it is. Um, you know, my my feelings on, on Ray Parler haven't really changed off the back of it, but great player, it doesn't mean that 
when you're in the studio, you're, you're, you're necessarily always doing the right thing. Um, Goose1066 says, what do you think the main issues are for not creating enough chances in a game? Um, I mean, a little bit of everything. Um, you know, first of all, I didn't like the fact that we moved the ball too slowly. I think our patterns of play at times are a little bit predictable. Um, I don't think we have, you know, barring a couple kind of players that want to pick up the ball and run at, at defenders. And I think that when you're facing a low block, I think it's quite important that players do that because you can pass the ball from left to right and back again. But doing that doesn't really pull people out of position. What pulls people out of position is running at them and inviting them to come and confront you. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think those were probably uh, the main reasons. And touched on it a little bit earlier on in the show as well about, um, you know, about what, what some of the issues were yesterday. Um, let's see uh, what else we've got here in the chat. And again, apologies if I missed some of them. The the thing is um, the, the chat box is updating so quickly that I do sometimes miss comments. Uh, John Anderson says, did you hear the leaked audio on Hugh Wizzy's page? Um, what audio are you talking about? Are you talking about from the fans forum, John? Um, I haven't seen Hugh Wizzy's page, so let me know in the chat um what what it is that you're referring to um but no i i haven't seen hugh izzy's page so i haven't um i haven't uh no i haven't basically uh peanut butter jelly time as well says uh talk sport uh talking about robbie i am for clicks when they posted that video of robbie on twitter to get clicks yeah exactly there's a there's a bit of hypocrisy there isn't there and 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 that was disappointing to see i think you know a lot of what people listen to on talksport is is and i and i i pay more attention to the arsenal stuff of course is is almost goading the arsenal fans whether it be the phoning bits whether it be adrian durham on one of his rants about arsenal on drive time it just feels like they goad Arsenal fans into a reaction. So then to, uh, you know, to then have a go at someone for what you're claiming to be the same sort of concept, just it's a little bit hypocritical. And yeah, disappointing to see, disappointing to see. Uh, Josh Hunter says, would you play Chambers at left back for Villarreal? No, uh, I wouldn't, Josh. Um, I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, you know, is it going to be Xhaka again? I suspect that it probably will be. Um, is there a shout that maybe Cedric should come back in there? I don't know. I, I'd imagine he's going to go with Xhaka and he's going to stick with Xhaka. <laughs> Xhaka's not particularly mobile, does lunge in at times like he did, you know, on Friday. Overcommitted a little bit. But will Chambers cope with playing on his wrong side that would be my big worry about that so no um i probably wouldn't um alexis says uh, why is david moyes at west ham doing it and arteta can't um it's it's a tough one isn't it i, I don't think david moyes has had to deal with as much shit off the pitch as, as Mikel arteta has i think the most important point here is that david moyes is a vastly experienced manager as well Mikel arteta isn't um you know, West Ham have done it extremely well. And David Moyes has had a fantastic season. There's no getting away from that. But it does feel like a bit of an anomaly to me. Do I expect West Ham to be up there again next season? No, I don't. Um, and that's why I, I kind of, you know, look at Sheffield United under Chris Wilder, you know, had an incredible um, sort of first campaign in the Premier League in terms of of how they did. And then, you know, the next season they were complete and utter shambles. So, yeah, um, it's 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 really difficult to to compare the two. You know, David Moyes is so much more experienced than Mikel Arteta. Has a completely different outlook on football, and um, hard to compare the two. But I agree that Mikel Arteta, in terms of his Premier League performances, uh, is of course underachieving. 
Big hello to Carrie, one of our members. And if you're interested in becoming a member of the channel, click on the link in the description. You can sign up, support me to bring you more Arsenal content, get access to our exclusive Discord server, as well as a number of other benefits specified when you click on that link. Carrie says, what do you think about the Spotify guy buying Arsenal? Um, yeah, I there was a tweet, wasn't there? Um, where the owner... Uh, of uh, or the CEO uh, of Spotify, Daniel Ek. Uh, yeah, so he's the CEO and co-founder of Spotify. He said, as a kid growing up, I've cheered for Arsenal as long as I can remember. If KSE would like to sell Arsenal, I'd be happy to throw my hat in the ring. Uh, so Daniel Ek is a, a Swedish uh, businessman, as I said, CEO and co-founder of Spotify. And he says he would be willing to throw his hat in the ring if KSE were to to sell Arsenal. Do I think they're going to sell right now? No, I don't. Um, it would be nice, but I don't see it somehow. Listen, the, the thing is with these billionaire owners, right, there's there's always an element of risk because you don't know what they're going to do. Um, you don't know what their intentions are when they sign up. But, you know, at this point, we know what Kroenke is all about. We'd have to give any prospective owner the benefit of the doubt unless we had any reason to believe that they were were going to be just as bad or were going to um, not have the best interests of the club at heart. So, you know, you, you have to see. And if it goes wrong, then then you protest and you, you you hope to force them out. And we hope that we can force the Cronkies out. Let this and carry. I mean, obviously, to see that, it's great to know that there are other billionaires in the world that are looking at Arsenal Football Club, our understanding of our situation right now, our disconnect with our owners, and are almost making a bit of a public spectacle of the fact that they're interested. But it's a long way from anything happening. I'd, I'd, lo I'd love the Cronkies to up and leave. But there's no guarantee. There's nothing to say that he would do a bad job, but there's no guarantee that Daniel Weck would come in and, uh, and, and you know, solve all our problems. So, yeah. Uh, advice caution on that, uh, for sure. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, London Trident says that, Harry, what did you think of Josh Kroenke's forum about Arsenal and the fact that we've got to be on a self-sustaining model? I don't like the whole self-sustaining model thing. Um, I kind of respect the, the morals behind it, but the self-sustaining model isn't working, is it? Because Arsenal are not in the Champions League. Arsenal are nowhere near competing for the Champions League. Arsenal... Um, you know, could sneak into the competition off the back of a, a Europa League win. But with our current form, that's not looking particularly likely at the moment. But the fact is, the self-sustaining thing isn't working. It's seen Arsenal over the years um, progressively decline. And that decline has been huge. And that decline has been desperately um, painful for us as a fan base. If you want to compete at the top table of football nowadays, you cannot, you cannot, uh, completely run under a self-sustaining model. And listen, I, I would be more, you know, if, if the Cronkies were all about values, right? If they were all about values, like they say they are, and they were, you know, insistent on the self-sustaining model, but then didn't try and sell us out for money, um, you know, earlier this week, then you can understand it a little bit more. And you say, well, I don't really agree with it. I don't think Arsenal are going in the right direction. But it's their values. And at the very, very least, they're upholding those values. But that's not the bloody case, is it, with the Cronkies? Because they can bang on about values. They can bang on about morals. They can bang on about this not being sustainable and that not being sustainable, etc., etc., etc. But at the first opportunity, they tried to sell us out. They tried to do something that completely con contradicts all the values and morals that they've been banging on about for a quick buck. And... That's the reality. So the whole self-sustaining thing, the morality of it, which was the only part of it that as fans, we looked at and went, you know, I, I don't like it, but I get it. The morality element is gone now. So how can we back this self-sustaining model, which isn't working? And clearly uh, the Cronkies are not that big on from a moral perspective. So there you go. Um, that's where I am on that. Uh, let's pick out, I'm going to pick out one more question, uh, before I dash busy day of work ahead of me. And if you are based in the United States, you can tune into the VSIN, 
uh, EPL broadcast tonight of uh, West Ham's game versus Chelsea. Big clash that in the race for the top four. So I'd love to have you joining us. Uh, I'll be joined by Nigel Seeley, who will be uh, bringing you the best in-play betting tips. So that's VSIN, uh, the sports betting network based in Las Vegas. And you can catch us on iHeartRadio from 5.20 UK time. I think it's 12.20 Eastern and 9.30 a.m. Pacific, if I've got my conversions right. There you go. Uh, let's pick out one more question. Here we go. Um, just scrolling through to find one. Uh, so many comments in the chat box. I want to pick from someone whose question I haven't necessarily uh, looked at uh, just yet. Uh, bear with me a second. God, there's so many comments. So many comments. Um, let's have a look. Uh, here we go. We'll take this one. Um, from Alexis. What is Arteta's plan B? Um, what is Arteta's plan B? Feels like Arteta's probably got a plan A, plan B and plan C, but doesn't really have plan A nailed down yet. And that's the big problem here. That's how I look at it. I think that he's almost obsessed with the flexibility of our system to the point where in being so flexible, we've almost become jacks of all trades rather than the master of any. Jack of all trades, master of none is the saying. I tried to make it fit there. Don't know if it did, but anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's probably the problem. I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with Mikel Arteta's management at the moment. But listen, having said that, you know, the players are not delivering on the pitch as well. The outside factors are having an impact. It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an issue. It is an issue, and um, I, I do fear for him if if this Europa League campaign goes belly up in it, and it could well do. Um, I'm worried about, you know, I'm worried about the um, 